The way our cities look today is directly shaped by racism. Um, I personally have sent copies of this research to the high school libraries. I sent it to the coordinator for social studies education at Ferguson Florissant, and I also sent some copies to the principal at McClure High School. Places like museums, we're supposed to be starting conversations, and we're supposed to be safe places for conversations. And so this is our contribution, really, to implementing the Ferguson Report. I'm Sarah Fenske. This is St. Louis on the Air. Tai de Noya is one of the oldest remaining homes in St. Louis County. The oldest section dates back to 1790. Naturally, it's a popular spot for tours. The Flores and Valley Historical Society operates the tours, and it would like visitors to keep something important in mind. Describing the home today, the society explains, quote, the back stairs of the old house show the wear of two centuries. The old hardwood treads are worn smooth and dipped in the middle. Let us remember that some of the feet on those steps did not walk there by choice, that some of the hands on the handrail were being summoned for service. It is a magnificent old house that accommodated two very different realities. That passage comes from the Historical Society's new book examining slavery in Florissant. It's called In the Walnut Grove, a consideration of the people enslaved in and around Florissant, Missouri. And joining us today to talk about the book is its editor, Andrew J. Thysing. He's also the treasurer of the Florissant Valley Historical Society. So, Andrew, welcome. Thank you, Sarah. I appreciate your interest in this. So, Andrew, so often the stories of enslaved people are treated as a footnote to the grand houses or the general histories of a town. What inspired your group to dig so deeply into this dark past? Well, you know, it really started with the 1619 Project coming out of the New York Times, which won the Pulitzer Prize. And, you know, I, I, I was thinking after reading that series that, you know, I know a lot about slavery. I knew a lot about slavery here in St. Louis generally, but I really didn't know the specifics of it in places like Florissant and, and elsewhere in North County. And so I started digging, and, and my goodness— um, it was it was a it was so interesting. It was just uh, one interesting story after another, and a lot of people have done small pieces of work, and this book collects those pieces into a single work. Was it difficult to get the Florissant Valley Historical Society on board for what is essentially an airing of of some very dirty laundry of this entire town? It was very easy, and everyone was supportive of it. Hmm. And uh, it really is important that institutions do this and and recognize this history. You know, that comes right out of the Ferguson report, that places like museums were supposed to be starting conversations and were supposed to be safe places for conversations. And so this is our contribution, really, to implementing the Ferguson report, hmm. to to 
be a place that starts a very important conversation. And was there a point in the research you were doing, as you said, there's so much that's so interesting here, but was there a point you could point to where you realized, you know what, this isn't just um, something for, for us to look at or something to share with a small group. This is actually a book. You know, it started out as just a series of essays in our quarterly magazine. And and one of my colleagues at Historic Florissant, Inc., a different organization, she said, this ought to be a book. This ought to be a book. Hmm. And, and sure enough, there was enough there to make a book. In fact, it got to the point where I had to draw the line and just say, no more. <laughs> <laughs> It's time hey, that's to publish a great it. feeling. Yeah, you don't you don't want to be padding the book. You want to say we've got so much material here. That's right. Volume two can come out in the future sometime. <laughs> there you go. Now you drew on some extraordinary original sources here, and that includes a narrative by an enslaved man. He was named William Wells Brown. He wrote something so striking and just horrible to read. Uh, this is in his 1847 memoir. He wrote, I cannot find a good master in the whole city of St. Louis because there are no good masters in the state. Um, and as you write in, in this book here, um, the most notorious parts of his memoir, you now feel pretty confident those took place in and around Florissant. What happened there to him? Right. The the William Wells Brown narrative is so interesting. Um, so Brown is a contemporary of Frederick Douglass, and I think a lot of people know of Frederick Douglass, who escaped to freedom and wrote his memoirs in 1845. So William Wells Brown is kind of coming right behind uh, the experience of Frederick Douglass in 1847. And in reading that, um, in reading Brown's work, uh, it was very clear that he was speaking about North County, hmm. and uh, he talked about his his the the, the person who enslaved him uh, was the founder of Marthasville, Missouri, and what happened in so many times these these people who were enslaved they were their labor was rented out by the by the owner, and so the 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 story of Mr. Brown is that he was he got to work for you know famous people like uh, Elijah Lovejoy, mm -hmm. uh, who you know later became a great abolitionist, but was actually contracting for slave labor in some of his early work, and so he got to do these uh, he got to have this big experience. And as I was reading these names, I thought, well, that's a North County name, and mm. well, that's a North County road. And then it you know with a little more. Uh, research, it was very clear that, that, you know, he really was enslaved right here, not far from Florissant. And had anyone connected that before? Um, you know, as you say, this memoir was, was well known at the time, at least. You know, there is, there are, there's so much work, and it's so scattered. I, I don't hmm. want to say that, that people didn't know this, but mm -hmm. it certainly was in, 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 for me and for the historical society and for the history, the historians of Florissant, um, this was this was an unknown. We we didn't know this. This was new or rediscovered information. Hmm. And and some of the details in this account, and and forgive me for lingering on this, but I was not familiar with this memoir. And you know, some of these passages that you quote from in this book, where he's talking about the separation of families and this baby who's who's maybe four or five weeks old. And, and wouldn't stop crying. And, and so they separated her from her mother. It feels like slavery in North St. Louis County, there's just no excuses that can be made um, for, for the way that this was enacted there. The excerpt that's in the book 
really speaks to the brutality of slavery and and the rape and the inhumanity of slavery. It just comes out. And, you know, what, what's, what's such an interesting twist in this is that Brown himself is a slave, but he's hired out to a slave trader. And so here is this, you know, <laughs> here's this man who's enslaved and he has to help enslave others. Mm. And that has to just break his heart. It does break his heart. And he speaks of the tension that he felt inside. Mm. These are some, yeah, these passages are gripping. Um, And then also in this book, you get into um, enslaved people who served at Ty Denoya. And this is a house that the Florissant Valley Historical Society um, operated tours there up until the the pandemic uh, sort of changed some (laughs) of those plans. But this house is is such an interesting story in and of itself. Who originally owned this, this home? So this house... This house was standing in the 1790s, and we know that because the very first Spanish land grant for this area was um, mentioned, mentioned the, the, the Walnut Grove. And so the, the house, uh, the, the original log portion of the house was standing in the 1790s, and then it was purchased after the 1800s, it was purchased by John Melanfi. Mm-hmm. who was this wealthy, wealthy man uh, who, who moved to Florissant before he had all of his great wealth. But uh, he moved to Florissant, and he uh, bought this. And when his daughter got married in 1817, this house was a wedding gift to her. And so the big mansion that's there today was built by uh, his daughter, Jane Chambers, and her husband, Charles. And what were you able to find out about um, how many enslaved people were working there on that property? It is really difficult to find these records. Um, there's, there's, there's almost nothing we can, we can do to, to identify the people enslaved on these various estates. Uh, the only documentation that that I can find is the uh, there are some references in the church record to people by name because these were you know this was an active Catholic family mm-hmm. and so when the enslaved people got married they got married in the Catholic Church hmm. and so there's a church record that says you know Daniel married Eliza but there is no uh, we don't have a complete listing when mr. Chambers died his uh, that the people he enslaved were listed by simply by age, by gender and age, and and not by name. And I, as I was looking at those documents, I just thought, you know, here are these human lives, and they're not even they're not even given a name. Mm-hmm. It really it really struck me with my 21st century perspective. And and one of the people involved in this story, where we do learn her name, um, is a young girl named Fanny. Tell us what you learned about Fanny. Um, Fanny is someone mentioned in John Melanfi's will, and Fanny is this this girl who is mulatto, and so she had an African-American mother and a white father. And uh, John Melanfi is, is just enthralled with this child and just loves the, the prattle that he hears, and and he makes a provision for her in his will saying i am not the girl's father but he separated mother and child he sold the mother mm. and then kept 
the child. And upon his death, the child was turned over to the daughters of charity uh, with an endowment and conditions for her, uh, for her emancipation and, and her, uh, with conditions for her, her care, really, and her inheritance. Well, so in, that seems so hopeful. But then you revisit the idea of Fanny later in this book. This is one of the most heartbreaking asides. Tell us what your sleuthing led you to realize potentially about Fanny. Well, in looking at another one of these these estates, uh, in looking at the Jennings estate and the list of, of people enslaved there uh, in the, the death records, in the court records, um, one of the women is named Fanny, and she is the exact same age as the Fanny in John Melanfi's will. But, you know, it's, it's 20 years later. And so the question it just begs the question, could it be this woman who Melanfi seemed to set on a path, a hopeful path, and she fell right back into slavery? We're talking today about the book In the Walnut Grove. It's a consideration of the people enslaved in and around Florissant, Missouri. Uh, this book came out from the Florissant Valley Historical Society. It was edited by Andrew J. Thysing, and he is our guest today um, talking to us about the remarkable research that went into this book, just so many original documents that, that led to new discoveries and piecing together parts of other stories. There's so much in this. Andrew, one of the things I was um, intrigued to learn, a very famous name that pops up in this book. Dred Scott himself had a fluorescent connection. That's true. And I just, I just couldn't believe it as I was, as I was researching these different, uh, going down these different paths. Um, you know, the official case of the Dred Scott decision was Dred Scott versus Sanford. And Sanford was this man, John, uh, John Sanford. And he was, he was a landowner in in North County, uh, more closer to the airport area, not so much in Florissant, mm -hmm. but uh, he was he was up there in North County, and and Dred Scott was actually enslaved by his sister Irene Emerson, and Emerson uh, after she became widowed, she moved in with her father, who also lived on John Sanford's land, hmm. um, and so here here you know the very first court filing was was a, you know a petition a, a subpoena for Irene Sanford and that would have been served um, in St. Ferdinand Township right there in North County uh, just amazing that things this famous case started out right there. Mm -hmm. Another um, point that people living in St. Louis may have some connections to and have to kind of own this history, it seems like the history of slavery in Florissant is indelibly linked to the history of the Jesuits in the area. You write when they arrived in the Florissant area in 1823, they, they brought six enslaved people with them. What do we know, if anything, about, about the fate of those six people? The Jesuits have done such a fantastic job in acknowledging and tracing their their linkage to slavery. And Kelly Schmidt at the uh, the Slavery History Memory Reconciliation Project, um, she has just done awesome work, and she wrote one of the essays that's that's in the book. Um, the Jesuits did enslave people. They did bring some of the earliest enslaved people to the Florissant area uh, when they came here from Maryland. Hmm. And and there's uh, one man who is Peter Hawkins, who's uh, mentioned quite a bit in the book. And Mr. Hawkins lived his entire 
life with the Jesuits. He lived as an enslaved person from his birth to emancipation. And then he lived, he lived in service on the Jesuit property as a free man. Mm-hmm. Um, he had asked to purchase his freedom. Uh, he had been, he had asked to purchase his freedom during uh, his enslavement and was denied. Okay. Well, that history, that history also gets some, some good coverage in this book. Something that was also striking to me and, and somewhat surprising is that, as, as you write here, uh, North St. Louis County also had a significant population of free people of color, and this was even before the Civil War. Do we have any sense of how the size of that population compared to the enslaved population in the area? I don't know that particular statistic off the top of my head, but uh, Cindy Winkler uh, in Florissant has done a lot of census research on African Americans, both enslaved and free, and a lot of her census data is is in the book. Mm-hmm. And it is uh, it that was something that really surprised me that that North County historically has had a large African American population. It had more people enslaved than any other township in St. Louis County and any ward in the city. Hmm. Um, and, and after emancipation, the, the population of African Americans was always higher in the St. Ferdinand Township. Hmm. Um, and in this book, it's interesting, you know, we talked about pre-Civil War there, but you don't stop this book with emancipation. You're focused on slavery, but you also sort of deal with its aftermath. Why was it important to you to tell the story of what happened uh, after slavery ended? I think it is very important for all of us to understand that that the way our cities look today, and this is not just the St. Louis area, but all cities, mm-hmm. the way our cities look today is directly shaped by racism, by structural racism, by formal racism, by informal racism. It is it is what has shaped our cities. I mean, the reason we have predominantly African-American cities and predominantly white suburbs for so many decades is purely because of racism. And, you know, it's that way in St. Louis. It's that way in Cleveland. It's that way in Cincinnati. Don't have to go there. We know that that's the case because that's the way the laws were written. So I think it's important to say that the pain caused by slavery continues through the, the, the racist practices that happened to African Americans for generations following, even up to today, how much of what happened in Ferguson just a few years back, mm-hmm. how much of that isn't part of that, that, that pain from the open discrimination that was felt in our area for, for so many years before. Andrew, when we said you were going to be on today, we actually got an email from a fluorescent resident. This is Archilla Buford. Uh, This is a two-part question. I'm hoping the first part is pretty simple. Um, Archilla asks, could you share who you call to get a tour of the fluorescent home? She's referring to uh, 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 Ty DeNoya. Um, And our tour is happening right now. So we, um, I invite anyone who would like to see the house to go uh, we have a Facebook page. You can contact us through there. We also have a website, the Florissant Valley Historical Society. You don't have to worry about spelling or pronouncing the French name. Um, that's <laughs> good. That's thing. something, you know, we in St. Louis are not burdened with the proper pronunciation of French names. <laughs> that's, that's a great way to put it after I butchered it about 12 times today. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But you can just look up the Florissant Valley Historic Society. We would love to hear from you. And uh, we will we can work out an individual appointment, but we are still closed because the county health order still prohibits us from being open. But you'll do a one-on-one if, if someone really wants we, to see this. Yes, we can do some one-on-ones. Okay. Yes. Archilla continues her email. She says, lastly, do you know if this historical significance dealing with this history of slavery is being brought to light in the classroom of the Ferguson Florissant post-secondary students? It would be a shame if it wasn't and perhaps another example of failing to deny blacks the dignity to be remembered in history. Are there any plans to bring this to the schools? Um, I personally have sent copies of this research to the high school libraries. I sent it to the coordinator for social studies education at Ferguson Florissant, and I also sent some copies to the principal at McClure High School because we actually sit on the McClure High School campus. We own the house, but they own the land under us. And so we have a, a, a long relationship with McClure High School. And, uh, and so this has been made available to them. And, you know, it's just difficult. We can't really have meetings around it because mm-hmm. of of the pandemic. So I'm hoping that maybe in the coming school year that we can actually help build a curriculum around this. Boy, I think that would be spectacular. There's just so much good history here. I do want to encourage people. Uh, this book is called In the Walnut Grove, A Consideration of the People Enslaved in and Around Flor- Florissant, Missouri. On our website, that's stlpublicradio.org, um, we have a write-up of, of Andrew coming here, and there's a link where you can go directly to that link to purchase this book if you're interested to read it for yourself and, and just dig even more deeply into this history. Andrew J. Thysing, I want to thank you so much for joining us today and, and for your work in uncovering this history. It was my pleasure, Sarah. You're welcome. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.